This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com It is not death that a man should fear, but he should fear never beginning to live. Marcus Aurelius Yeah, I was a little heartbroken, but I was happy to, to get it done because I'd gotten... I, you know, talk about freak accidents, uh, actually in May, uh, of this year, you know, so just a couple months prior to doing this effort, I got hit by a deer, uh, like a herd of deer went in front and there was one straggler and it freaked out and drilled me as I was descending a hill at 40 miles an hour on my bike. Um, and so ended up in the hospital, lost a bunch of skin contusions, my hip, like when I did this effort, my, my hip still had fluid in it, um, was still swollen and had fluid in it. Um, so it was like, I almost thought like at first it's like, well, there goes my whole summer. Like I got injured right before summer, um, but managed to come away with no broken bones, no major internal organ problems, just like a lot of missing skin and a lot of swelling. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirt bags and hiker trash. I'm Doc and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest who has some stories to share. 
I am very excited to welcome to the studio this evening, Jason Hardrath, whose story is partially documented in the short film from Athletic Brewing Company, Journey to 100. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod, Jason. How's it going? I am. I'm really excited to be here. This is uh, this is exciting, Doc. I uh, I have kind of been wanting to have a chance to chat with you since uh, I first came across your podcast when I was uh, researching a a push I did in the Sierra that I had to use a good chunk of the John Muir Trail for. Um, yeah, so so I'm excited to be here. Nice. Now, did you just listen to the JMT episodes, or did you have you listened to other some other episodes? Just chunks of the jmt ones okay i kind of jumped around between jmt related episodes so so yeah All right. kind of so new probably, new new to the family <laughs> nice so you probably you probably heard uh me and chopper and maybe maybe uh jukebox or big e talking about our time out there on the on the jmt it was a lot of fun <laughs> yeah uh, you you know who you should uh you should have on to chat is uh my girlfriend actually ashley she uh she just did the uh, southbound women's FKT on the on the JMT um, and had an amazing experience with lots of hallucinations. Um, oh, nice! Yeah, wild hallucinations too, not casual okay. ones. So some some good stories there. All right, so you know what? You beat me to the punch because I know that on our our, our DMs, our DMs uh, on social media started off with you suggesting that I talk to Ashley. I had no idea that she was your girlfriend, by the way. Uh, but I did reach out to her and we, we, you know, her episode is all written up and I know that she said she's out until like the 24th, but she's, she's definitely going to be on season five. So we, we've communicated, she's committed, and I am glad to have some inside Intel into the, you know, the, the Southbound FKT and the hallucinations. This is going to be, that'll be a lot of fun. Yep. No, those, uh, I mean, if you're listening to this now, tune into that episode because it's going to be, she's going to be pure gold <laughs> are, you, are you saying she's gonna be a better guest than you are oh man you had to go and use the word better uh, i guess i guess we'll see we'll see we'll leave that up to the listener are are you two i mean she's doing she's out there doing fkts so i have to assume that she's a pretty competitive person are you as competitive um i, I for us it's kind of there's definitely some competition to it right like you you wouldn't go do anything that you choose to push yourself hard instead of just taking it casual. If you didn't have some competitive drives, but there's definitely this spirit of like, just loving to be out there going hard and exploring and see how far you can cover in a given day. Like there's definitely just that sort of like, well, what happens if I bring my best? Like how, how much is possible? It's sort of that explorative self-explorative question. That's a chunk of it too. So it's not all just like, I want to win at all costs. Um, neither of us would describe ourselves that way. Now, Jason, I've talked to guys who have talked about their girlfriends on the show. I've talked to girls that have talked about their boyfriends on the show. I've even talked to guys uh, and gals, uh, boyfriend and girlfriend at the same time, you know, doing doing a couple episode. But uh, this is going to be the first time that I've done a boyfriend, girlfriend on separate episodes. And so with right. your competitive <laughs> spirit, uh, you know, I think there might be a hat in this where, you know, maybe on the hat it says best best podcast guest and you guys you know you're, you're competing for that hat there we go we could we could uh come up with a whole convoluted competition for for who who ends up winning might Perfect. as well make it interesting right <laughs> yeah, and you know what there may be a third a third episode in this you know we have we have you on we have ashley on and then maybe have we have both of you on and we'll talk about some common adventures or, or future adventures there we go i like that okay <laughs> 
Hey, Jason, with your time out on the trails and peak bagging, have you picked up a trail name? You know, that's that's the one thing I was thinking about as we were rolling into this. I'm like, because so many of my adventures only utilize a chunk of a trail, even though I'm doing like extensive, covering extensive ground, it's like there's not a lot of time to cross paths with, you know, the community where I would land in a place and and receive, you know, get that name bestowed upon me. Um, so I guess my answer is no, I don't have I don't have a trail name yet. Okay. All right. We usually go by trail names on the podcast, but you know, if you don't have one, you don't have one. So you'll, you'll be Jason and, and maybe we'll be on the lookout for a trail name this episode for you. Yep. We can, we can leave that wide open. Um, okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe even listeners want to get involved and, and chime in with what they, what they think it should be when the, this episode's posting, drop it in the comments. <laughs> Absolutely. Audience participation is always welcome. That's a, that's a great idea. All right. Now, Jason, you've listened to a few of the episodes, so I'm assuming that you are familiar with a regular segment that we do that happens towards the end of the episode. It's the pro tip insight of the week. And that's where I will turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So don't be surprised when we get there. I'll be I'll be ready. Okay, and I'm sure you've got lots of trail wisdom to share throughout the episode as well but i'll i'll do my best i hope i've got one or two things good to say since i've dedicated a big chunk of my life to this <laughs> yeah, don't don't uh i mean don't don't get don't get caught uh giving up all your trail wisdom early hold one in reserve for the for the for the pro tip i'll keep one in my back pocket <laughs> okay it's time for a current event oh Hey, this is a, a semi-regular feature we do on the podcast, or maybe semi-irregular. It doesn't happen that often, but when it does, it's, it's pretty fun to talk about. This is a current event, and usually what I'm doing with a current event is I'm pulling uh, headlines, stories from the headlines about hiking or mountaineering or, or something else related to the outdoors. But this, t- this time, I am actually sharing an experience from my own life that just happened yesterday. So I'm not sure if you've been following along on Instagram, but I had a, a listener reach out to me and say, Hey, I live near you, which kind of freaked me out a little bit because, you know, I, yeah, I talk about, you know, where I live sometimes, but this guy really picked up on it. He, he knew that he was in my vicinity and he says, Hey, I want to meet up because I've got something for you. And so I took it, I took a chance and I said, all right, let's do this. And I met up with him yesterday afternoon on the way home from work. I took a little bit of a detour outside of uh, my usual route and he gave me this, and I'm going to have to turn off my virtual background here of Evolution Lake, so it shows up. Uh, uh, I love that background, by the way. Yeah, so I'm gonna, <laughs> you're going to get a chance to peek behind the behind the uh, behind the curtain here. Hang on one second. There we go. Um, but I don't know if you can see this. Oh, look at that. Yeah, it's a sign uh, made out of freaking Muir redwood. Pod it says the John freaking Muir Pod. Let me see if I can get this right. And at the bottom, it has our tagline, embrace the suck. That so, is a glorious sign. Yes, it is beautiful. <laughs> it's amazing. It is from Eric Coleman, who did a fantastic job. This was totally unsolicited, but uh, totally, totally welcome. And I've actually, you know, I posted a picture last night of this uh, on Instagram. And it got got a lot of, uh, a lot of comments, a lot of likes. And uh, one of my listeners um, I don't know her first name, but she goes by M-N-O-Y-I. So if you're listening, M-N-O-Y-I, uh, she said, I can't wait to see uh, um, this this sign in different locations. Because I had posted a picture of myself, my, my daughter, Half Calf, whose voice that was in the intro. Um, my daughter, Half Calf, she took a picture of me outside with the sign and she she uh, 
took that, took myself and the sign out of that background and put us on top of Mount Whitney. And I posted that picture. And so uh, M-N-O-Y-I said, I can't wait to see it in new locations. So we're going to play kind of a Where's Waldo. I'm going to hide myself in the sign and in some pictures and, and have a little fun with that and, and post that on Instagram uh, occasionally. That's fun. I love it. And I love the sign. That's such a cool thing. What a cool thing to to have somebody reach out and have made you something special like that. Yeah. Hey, maybe it yeah. needs to become one of the new backgrounds during the episode too. You know what? I like the way you're thinking, Jason. That's awesome. Yes. We'll, we'll absolutely do that. Eric Coleman, if you're listening, and I think you are, thank you again. Uh, quite a gift. Really surprised me. Really touched me. Uh, one of the best things about this podcast is uh, not only the people that I talk to on the podcast, the guests, I feel like I have friends all over the world, all over the country, all over the world, and uh, also interacting with my with the followers, with the listeners out there and just you know hearing their take on stuff. I've had a couple of items now sent to me like this, which really just just you know it, it makes it all worthwhile. I'm not making a ton of money on this uh, podcast, as you can well imagine, but it's these interactions and and the feedback that make it all worthwhile. So Eric, thank you so much. Yeah, mad props, Eric. Cool move. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up from Jason Hardrath. <laughs> Two thumbs up. All right. The must bring gear review. All right. Our next segment is this is a feature we've been doing called the must bring gear review, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. Have you heard of Six Moon Designs? I I have. Uh, Ashley extensively uses their product for a lot of her fast packing. Um, cause it's, they're the perfect size. They have the running vest front as an option. That's um, right. So you can keep all the stuff you need on the fly. If you're going to move for, you know, 10 hours straight, mm-hmm. um, right, right in hands reach. Yeah, no, they're, they, they make a great, they make a great product. Yeah. Great backpacks, great tents. The lunar solo, uh, very, very handy on my last trip. It was fantastic. Trekking pole tent. And so they're, they're sponsor of the, of the John freaking mirror pod. And here's how this, uh, segment works. So if you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Jason, what is your must-bring piece of gear out there? Okay, I have to settle a context first. I'm still showing up wearing the clothing I would normally wear. They're not choosing that for me, are they? That's correct. You're not naked. Okay, so shoes, shoes and clothes I've already got. Okay, good. Uh, unless um, unless your standard kit is hiking naked. You just have shoes on and a hat <laughs> and you're, you're good to go. Uh, um let's see here. Let me think about this. Um well, considering a lot of the stuff I do, excuse me, a lot of the stuff that I do is off the beaten path. Um I would say first thing on my mind is a, an emergency beacon. Um because yeah, nobody's walking past the places I go. There's not going to be any, oh, I got lucky and someone happened to find me with my leg broken. It's it's either the button works or the button doesn't. Um, and yeah, so I would say that's first and foremost with the the types of off-trail peak bagging adventures I do. Um, and with the emergency the, beacon, what, do you have a specific brand that you prefer to use? Uh, right now I have a spot. Uh, I've used a couple of buddies, um, Garmin InReach, and I think... I think I like the inReach better. The the spot has, as far as like the two-way communication features, right. the spot is just, sad to say, less reliable than the the Garmin. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would, I would probably, I'd probably go toward the Garmin right now. Yeah, they're pretty pricey, but I mean, if you're hiking in remote places, especially by yourself, I mean, this is this is a a must bring. Yeah. No, absolutely. 
and anything is better than nothing, but, um, yeah, I would say, I would say probably Garmin's doing one of the best. The, the thing that pushed me over the edge, the, here's a little story that pushed me over the edge with it. As far as saying what I said, I had the spot and I, and I had had some minor like frustrations with like messages, not going through in a reasonable amount of time, like days late. Um, like, okay, what use is that? Um, but what really pushed me over the edge is I tried sending a message and both my girlfriend and I have a spot device for times when, you know, we're trying to meet up and coordinate for, you know, uh, a resupply or whatever on a big push and we're both out of phone service. And I sent a message and my buddy sent a message from his Garmin at the same time to her spot. So it's a spot communicating to a spot and a Garmin communicating with a spot. She got his message first by a long shot. And I'm like, what? <laughs> um, so I feel now I feel like I'm just bashing on spot, which, you know, they were one of the first in the, in, in the uh, domain of communicators, uh, you know, personal communication with satellite. Uh, so I guess can't bash on too hard, but yeah. yeah but, but being first, I mean, you can't just rest on your laurels. I this mean, is if, true. If, if Garmin is, is communicating with the spot quicker than the spot uh, communicates with the spot, that's an issue. Maybe someone in their engineering department will hear this and they'll be like, okay, we're going to fix that. Um, so maybe, maybe any... po- positive, positive energy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> if we have any, if we have any listeners at spot, uh, please just take this as constructive feedback. There we go. <laughs> so yeah, that would be my number one um, piece of gear for the stuff I do. Um, beyond that, uh, I would say the next thing that goes in my bag is uh wind wind layer water layer regardless of uh regardless of weather it's like that's the one extra layer i'll always pack even if i'm going fast and light it's like just in case um so yeah those would be the first two things how how many am i supposed to go do you want me to keep going (laughs) no no no. we're going to talk about gear in a little bit here but i think that weather layer that rain layer that's always important to pack because you can never tell even if you've got a a forecast you know 10 day forecast with nothing in sight if you're up in the mountains, that that can change in a heartbeat. Yeah. And my engine, you know, this is me knowing myself. Some people would be like, oh, I'd bring a puffy too, just in case like I get benighted. My engine runs really hot. So it's like normally I I like I'll hike, I'll hike up like Mount Rainier in shorts and uh a single upper layer, like a sun hoodie. Um, and other people are in their full decked out mountaineering gear. Uh, just my engine runs so hot, but I know, you know, if I get benighted or I'm injured and I have to move more slowly or can't move, like I need to have at least something with me, uh, for my body to be able to keep up. Um, and you always have to think, you always have to think a little bit beyond just like, Oh, this is all I need. If nothing goes wrong. Um, as we all know. Right. Uh, shorts and, and, and short sleeves at, at top of Rainier. That that's just some badassery going on right there. That, that, that's just an indication of who you are. It was a secret low key goal to to summit the major the major volcanoes of the Pacific Northwest uh, in short shorts. Dude, I've got a trail name already for you. Already. Oh shoot! Here we go. And this is good because it's dual purpose. I mean, there, there's a, a number of ways you, you always like to have multiple interpretations of something, right? So you're low key. You're low key. It could be L O W K E Y or it could be L O K I. I mean, there's there's a myth, there's mythological kind of connotation with that low key. Hmm. Try it on for size. Right. We'll, we'll, right. we'll come I'll, back. We'll, I'll, I'll kick that can down the road. There you go. There you go. 
And hey, before we leave the the whole conversation on the spot and the the must bring piece of gear, what have you heard about the the newest iPhone having satellite communication skills? I have heard about that. Um, what, what do you think? Oh, I mean, as soon as you add convenience to something like that, it's going to be a game changer for the for the industry. Um, I, I think I've actually had a lot of conversations because one of the things I helped do uh, is two guys took on the Sierra peak list, um, which is 247 peaks of the Sierra that were chosen by the Sierra club. It's like one of the uh, most historic and definitely like largest peak lists in the country. And they decided to try to take it on in a single year, sort of this mentality of, okay, if you have, if you have a PCT size motivation, like you want to carve a chunk out of your life and just go like be in the outdoors, but you don't just want to walk on a trail. Like, what does it look like to apply this to a, a mountain space where just every day you're going to go climb more mountains? Um, and so it was this kind of experiment, similar to how I did the Bulgers in the Journey 100 film, uh, a little more relaxed pace because obviously 247 peaks is more than 100. I could kind of have the throttle down harder. Um, but this sort of through climbing, if you will, of an entire peak list. And we built a 3D live tracking platform for them um, you can still go look at it. It's obviously they're done now. Um, so there's not any new data uploading to it, but uh, sps2022.com. And it would broadcast on really accurate 3D terrain where they were on the mountain. And it got really fun to watch because you could like see what kind of terrain they were on. And I think, you know, it was difficult because you could only get so many pings per hour um, so that they could conserve the battery of their device. But something that uh, I think a cell phone will be able to do um, if it's pinging the satellites is it'll be able to link with a watch, which is taking one second data instead of like 10 minute data. And it'll be able to, every time it pings, upload all those ping points. So you have a super accurate track of where this person has moved and how fast they've been moving and um, where they stopped all this different data to kind of make it more compelling and interesting to follow these uh, these outdoor adventures live as people are doing them. So I think it'll have a lot of different implications beyond just that uh, for like uh, ultra running, you know, with hundred milers, 200 milers, I think it'll open the door for easier, like live tracking. Um, and yeah, I mean, to have a sort of a dual band form of communication that people just naturally carry around all the time, probably good for safety. Um, since a lot of people will just wander wander places and get lost with nothing but their cell phone with them. Um, so probably a good thing. <laughs> now, now Loki, how does that feel? Loki? I, uh, I, I hadn't thought about that before about the difference between a device and a watch and the fact that a watch tracks at one, you know, one reading every second and a device is, is less frequent than that. I had, had no idea about that, but that makes sense now that I, you know, if I, if I go look at my runs on, you know, on my, on my Garmin, it's, it's a pretty detailed track. I mean, it shows all the in and outs of where I, maybe I crossed the street and had to veer to the right a little bit to get on the crosswalk. And uh, you can really see the, the, the movements there. That makes a whole lot of sense. I hadn't, hadn't given a lot of thought to that before. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it'll, it'll really make a difference. Um, in what we're able to see. And obviously like the phone in order to conserve battery would still only shoot that up to the satellites like once every two minutes, but it would be a much richer data set than a right. single data point. Um, so yeah. Anyways, that, that's, that, that's my rough thoughts on it. Um, okay. I, I think it's going to absolutely change the game. We're going to see 
devices like the inReach and all that get phased out fairly quickly. Um, Interesting. Maybe they'll start offering price discounts on the inReach, knowing that this is coming. Ooh, that's something to watch for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on that. All right. Hey, I, talk, I, I said we're going to talk about some gear. And to help us talk about gear, I've got the... It's the hiking poll. The hiking poll. It's a seven-question survey. Poll is spelled P-O-L-L, not P-O-L-E. P-O-L-L, like a survey. And this is a seven-question survey that we're going to cover, uh, mostly about gear and opinions on hiking. It's going to help me give you a score on the sanity scale. Uh, a score from one to 100, with one being completely insane and 100 being completely sane. All right. All right. I'm ready. Okay. Have, you, have you seen these questions? I don't. I don't think so. So this no, you, is you, shooting, I shooting in the blind here. That's right. This that's is... right. Are you nervous? Oh, I guess. I guess we'll find out. Okay. <laughs> if, if I were to ask Ashley, and I'll probably ask her on her episode, hey, what what score would you give Jason? Oh, you should. Sanity, you on, should on the sanity scale. What what, what would she say? <laughs> um. Let's see. I I don't think I would. I don't think she'd give me above fifty percent. <laughs> I think it would be 50 or lower. That's, that's my guess. All 50 right. or lower. Right. We'll, we'll see if that holds true. She knows you best. So I, I may, I may get this wrong, but she, she certainly knows you best. So, <laughs> all right. First question. Very easy. Trekking poles or no trekking poles. Uh, it depends. Is that an okay well, answer? <laughs> already he's going with the third answer. That's not offered. It depends. Okay. Why does it depend? Um, it, basically if I'm on any, remotely maintained trail i usually have no trekking poles but if i know i'm going to be doing extensive off trail especially on like volcanic scree or talus definitely trekking poles okay all right and what is the benefit for trekking poles in that situation uh you just you just waste so much more energy trying to balance on the loose terrain with your stabilizer muscles um without the poles present uh that you just end up after a day of pushing on it you just end up completely worked and i find like if i'm on a you know pretty stable well-maintained trail i just don't have to fight that hard to keep my balance at this stage of life and so the poles i just end up carrying around in my hands all the time and i'm like why did i bring these um so yeah it, it just makes a huge difference when the ground is unstable this stage of life you said what what, what stage are you in currently um, I'm coming out of being a young man into just being a, a general purpose man. Um, and so I still got some fight left. I still have a little bit of fight left. <laughs> Ask, asking selfishly, what, what is the age range of a general purpose man? Uh, let's say it's like somewhere between 31 and 33 through somewhere around 40 to 43. Oh man. I'm out of the general purpose man stage. Dang it. Dang it. Okay. All right. Question number two, boots or trail runners? What do you, what are you wearing on your feet? Uh, trail runners, trail runners for sure. Yeah. And do you have a specific brand and, and why do you prefer trail runners? For me, I like the lightweight feel. Um, I like, yeah, I like the ground feel. I like kind of having the the flexibility. I want to be able to run uh, significant portions if I choose to. Um, and then also I do quite a bit of rock scrambling in a lot of the, the FKTs I chase. So being able to just transition seamlessly into making fourth and fifth class rock climbing moves is important. And I just find a full rubber bottom on a, a trail runner 
is just kind of the the best platform for that for me. And uh, right now I'm in love with a shoe called uh, Norda. And they do a Dyneema upper with a full rubber, full Vibram rubber bottom. And they have kind of a cushion stack like a Hoka. So you got that cushion where if you're going to cover 80 miles that day, like you can do it and your feet don't hurt, but the full rubber bottom, like I still feel comfortable making smearing moves and rock climbing moves in them. And then I've never been able, this is the the crazy thing to me with all the off trail stuff and kicking through rocks and talus and volcanic scree. I've never been able to tear an upper. Um, like the Dyneema actually works it's, and I was skeptical coming in at first. Um, I was like, oh yeah, are these shoes really worth the extra price tag? Cause they're $300 shoes. Um, but they, they, in their marketing, it's like, yeah, these are, uh, both bio sourced. So they're kind of like organically sourced and they, um, are going to last, you know, three times longer than any other shoe. And I, I destroy shoes with what I do. Like it, I've had. I think the best I've ever done with a set of Hoka's is, or worst I've ever done is brand new out of the box, 13 miles later, completely ripped the heel off of a pair of them with the stuff I do and had to run another like 20 miles with no heel on one of my shoes, kind of frustrated, like, dang it, these things were brand new. And I paid, you know, hundred, whatever bucks for them and <laughs> destroyed. Um, and so then, yeah, the, the Nord has kind of slowly won me over. Cause it's like, I haven't been able to destroy a pair yet. That's a pretty strong endorsement for Nordis. Yeah. Yeah. No, if somebody's looking for a shoe that you can just put on a pair and just like hike the whole Arizona trail, or maybe even the whole PCT, there are some people that have gotten a thousand plus miles out of a pair. Um, It's probably as close as you're going to come to a one pair and done uh, circumstance. Now, now Jason, I I have yet to have the guest tell me after that question, Tell me, boots, trail runners? Neither. I go barefoot. Are there any barefooters <laughs> out there? Um, I I can think of a couple of guys you should talk to. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Travis, one of the guys that did the SPS list that I talked about, he doesn't anymore. He obviously for rock climbing, he he wears shoes and stuff. But he used to run around. He ran his whole like high school cross country career. I think he ran barefoot. Um, which is insane. Like, cause five K's aren't slow. They're fast and hard and you're slamming your feet into the ground. It's like, how do you run that barefoot? Um, those are some tough feet. Yeah. So he's one that comes to mind immediately. All right. Hey, when you're doing multi-day adventures out there, uh, this is question number three, what is your, your favorite shelter, uh, setup tent, tarp, hammock, bivy, or cowboy camping? Uh, I do a lot of cowboy camping. I'm, I usually what I choose to do involves a lot of vert because I'm, I'm bagging peaks and every single ounce I can, I can shave off of, you know, doing 10,000 vertical feet in a day. It's like, I want to shave everything. So it's like, okay, would I be more comfortable if I brought the, if I brought the bivy sack to put over the sleeping bag? Yes, I would. But that also means I have to carry it on my back all day. Um, so very often I'll just bring the lightest possible sleeping bag to make sure I can get through the night and actually sleep some and go for it. Yeah. That 10 <laughs> ounce bivy sack, that could be a real pain to carry around. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Question number four, sleeping bag. I think you already said sleeping bag, sleeping bag or quilt when it comes to sleeping. I've, uh, I've, 
only had sleeping bags in the past. I've never experimented with a quilt yet, but I might have a, an opportunity to take one for a test run here soon. Um, so I may, I may switch camps, but so far it's like, all I know is sleeping bags. Yeah. Jason, I would highly recommend a quilt. Give it a, give it a shot. Um, I always feel a little constricted in sleeping bags and, and if you get the right quilt, I mean, it keeps you warm and you can sleep on your side. You can move around and, uh, not feel constricted. I'll probably like that. Cause I am pretty uh, light too. Pretty light. active sleeper. Active. Sl oh, I like that. What, what is an active <laughs> sleeper? You, you're moving around a lot. Oh, all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Just ask, ask my girlfriend. Um, she gets beat up sometimes when I'm just like flipping over and she'll catch an elbow or something and be like, what the hell? And I'll be totally asleep. <laughs> you know, the, the great thing about interviewing you first and her second, or even if it went vice versa is I'm getting Intel for the second interview. This is, this is perfect. Oh yeah. She's going to, she's not going to know what hit her. She's going to be like, how's he asking questions like this? Yeah. It's like an elbow <laughs> from Jason in the middle of the night. <laughs> All right. That was uh, question four. Question five. Uh, when it comes to food out there, are you a stove guy? Do you cold soak or are you stoveless? Mm. It depends on the extent and purpose of the adventure and, and the speed at which I'm going. So I will, I will do just all dry cold foods. If, uh, if it's like a three day push that I'm going super hard, um, if it's part of a bigger adventure, so like the, the boulders where I went for 50 days straight, obviously I was kind of in and out of the back country. Some of those were just day long pushes to tag two or three peaks and then back to the van. Mm -hmm. Um, but some of them were like, I think I had up to like five back country days, um, on, on those pushes. And on those days I brought a stove. Um, because it's like, all right, it's going to feel really nice to have some warm food after like being out in the middle of nowhere and fording streams and climbing, climbing glaciers and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I think especially if there's a chance that I'm going to feel cold while I'm out there, like, you know, glacier travel, that that idea that's like, but yeah, I'm going to get warm food at the end of this is always nice. Okay. Now, question number six, is life better above or below the tree line? Above, hands down, above. No hesitation. <laughs> no hesitation. I love it. <laughs> you know the correct answer there. That's right. Above the tree line. What What is it about the, above the tree line that makes it just better? Oh, man. Um, especially when you've earned it physically, like you, you've like had to like work your guts out. You know, with the boulders, you do a ton of bushwhacking. In, and for those who haven't been through Washington State, it's like a temperate rainforest. So it's like... You could be 10, there were literally times where I'd be 10 feet away from my climbing partner, Nathan, and we couldn't see each other. It's like that thick, not open forest walking that some people call bushwhacking, but like full on like bushwhacking. And so you fight your way out of something like that for just hours, hours of just fighting for your life. And then you pop above the tree line and you're like, yeah. I earned this. And then the views just open up and you've got the rocks and the ice and the glaciers. And oh man, it's just it's otherworldly out there. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, that, that, that would be the quickest way I'd sum that up. Yeah. Jason, I think you hit it right on the head. It's the, you know, putting in the effort to get there, uh, just makes the view that much better. And the fact that you have a view, um, without any trees in the way is pretty spectacular. So well said. All right. Question number seven, last question in the hiking poll. Uh, what's more important. And I think I already know the answer to this based on your, your previous conversation. What's more important pack weight or luxury items 
<laughs> Pack weight. <laughs> so you're not carrying a chair out there. You you're just you're willing to sit on a rock on the log or just lay it on the ground. I I hardly own a chair at home. <laughs> <laughs> you have just the essentials: the TV on the wall, uh, maybe a laptop, and uh, somewhere to cook your food. Bare essentials. Yep. Because the less the less you have the less comfortable you are, the more you want to get back outdoors. Right. (laughs) Yeah, no, I live, I live a pretty Spartan life um, in, in all aspects really. So. All right. Let me do some, some quick math here. I got to put your answers through the algorithm. See what we'll see where the score comes out. I got to, let's say you can carry the two, got to divide by root three. We're going to multiply that by pi. And we are going to adjust for the atmospheric pressure on Norman's 13. And I come out with a score of 48, 48. I don't think I'm that far hey. off from Ashley. <laughs> That's pro- we'll see. Maybe that'll be the exact number she'll give you. Um, we'll, we'll see. That would be something special if, uh, if that's dead on. Okay. And you know what, as long as we're at it, um, what, what score would you give Ashley on the sanity scale? Hmm. I'm going to give her. Now I'm six, writing this down. I'm writing this down. So 62%. 62. Okay. Yep. 62. She's just going to be a little, a little more sane than me. Okay. <laughs> That's probably a good thing, right? No, it's a great thing. Um, It's uh, probably a good place to be. Yeah. If you have a couple of, of, of people below the sanity level, below the 50% line, I mean, there could be some magic at times, but ultimately, there's probably not a good ending in that. <laughs> you have to ask yourself, is a good ending really what you're aiming at in life? Yeah, I think there's been <laughs> or is movies. It a, a good middle. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, there's been movies with that with that uh, exact plot line. So, all right. Uh, hey, before we get too far down the trail, Jason, let's back up a little bit. Let's talk about your background, where you grew up, what kinds of sports and hobbies you played in high school, and how did you get involved in the whole outdoor adventure cult? Uh, um, so I was ADHD, little kid, the annoying one, the impulsive one that would do dumb stuff that annoyed you, um, say dumb stuff that annoyed you, um, be generally annoying. Um, and the way I found to express myself at first that the only forum I could really be successful in was the forum of channeling that energy to move that ADHD, that hyperactivity, um, into sport type structured sport activity. So at first it was skating and I would just skate nonstop all day long. My parents got super sick of it. Cause I would just sneak out of the house in the morning and skate all day long. And they'd be like, how the hell did you feed yourself? Um, <laughs> I figured it out. Um, and then that turned into running. Um, cause I broke my wrist while skating and they they were looking for the excuse anyways, to like get me to quit being out, being a vagabond all day. Um, and so they're like, no more skating. This was too expensive. And I discovered running. And this was as I entered middle school. And so by eighth grade, I was like one of the fastest ones in the school. And I had this, I was kind of on the edge of being able to break a six minute mile. So I'm like, and this is just in PE. And so I'm like, okay, like I want to be the one that runs a six minute mile. Like I want to, I want to break the six minute mile, be the fastest one on the school. Like this will be cool. Um, and I pull it off final PE mile of the year, roll through 
557. The only the only number that mattered was that five at the front as the teacher was reading it off. And I remember just being in so much pain, like just like lighting yourself on fire from the inside, right? That's what running a, a good mile feels like. Um, and my head is spinning and throbbing and like, I'm just laying there though, but just like so satisfied that I did this thing. And it just like solidified this goal setting mindset where I'm like, okay, like if I'm willing to put in the work, if I'm willing to suffer, like I can do anything. And very quickly in high school, I learned that, that just because you're willing to suffer doesn't mean you can do anything. Um, cause my next goal, one of my next goals was, uh, to try to break the school record for my high school in the 1500. And I never got close to that record, not even remotely, like not, not far enough away that it, it's almost laughable to think about now. Even though um, you suffered, even though you suffered, even though I suffered a lot. Yeah. Um, I even trained, I even got to the point where halfway through high school, I was training year round for my sports. Um, you know, I'd go for runs in like zero degrees and sub zero temperatures, um, like training in the winter to be ready for track season. Um, and just like fully committed, right. Dedicated. That's actually the plaque. One of the plaques hanging on the wall here is from my coach in, uh, in high school, the words she chose to describe me, uh, when, you know, during senior awards was dedicated, um, and it hangs, it hangs right in the center of all that stuff, um, to start conversations with my students now. Yeah. And um, if you're listening, if you're listening to this, you may want to, may want to pause and go check out the YouTube video because, uh, Loki, uh, is calling in from his place of work and on the back wall there, why don't you describe what's on the back wall behind you? I've got 143 bib numbers from various races I've done from, uh, the 800 meter on a track all the way up to uh, Ironmans and 100 milers. And uh, yeah, some various medals and awards and things uh, ranging across from high school all the way to recent times. Um, yeah, it's a great conversation starter with my students. I'm a, I'm a PE teacher, so it kickstarts great conversations about life and hard work and what, what it means to take aim at something. Um, yeah, it's a it's a cool tool to have it hanging up here. You may be overqualified to be a PE teacher. I mean, if I walked into the <laughs> class, what what grade level do you teach? I teach K through six. K through oh my gosh! So if I'm, if I'm K through six and I walk into your PE class and you're a guy who's done an Ironman, I, I'm feeling pretty inadequate. <laughs> yeah, they they only hear the portion of the story that helps them feel motivated to move forward, and that's the art of teaching, right. Is to be able to hand, hand people the next piece of their narrative that they need to keep moving forward. Um, but you can only have those pieces of the narrative to give if you've gone further than that yourself. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's shaped my, and it's one of the reasons I seek out all these, these grand adventures. Cause I'm like, well, and you know, teaching isn't just a job for me. It's like how it's who I'm meant to be in the world. Mm -hmm. And so I go out and seek out these grand adventures because it's like, okay, if I can figure out how to do this stuff and I can, you know, someone fairly mediocre and average, like I don't have it. I'm not elite in any measurement. If I can find a way to go do the things I do, then it's absolutely possible for a huge portion of other human beings and for the right people, it's the thing they need, right? They're, they're out there searching right now for the thing to like break through their own, like misery and complacency. And it's going to be some grand adventure that, that helps them have that breakthrough. And it, the world needs people seeking out their own adventures so they can turn around and go, 
Hey, no, I've got, I've been where you've been and I've got something for you. Um, but you, you can't be in a place to do that if you haven't gone there yourself. So there, there's some authenticity to it for me. Yeah. A couple of follow-ups on that. Uh, one is I'm an educator also. So I love the fact that, uh, I love listening to what you're talking about right now. We're getting pretty deep, pretty philosophical right there. It, it is awesome. Incredible. And, um, you said you're not elite and I'm going to, I'm going to pose a, a counter opinion to that. You may not be the fastest Ironman athlete out there, right? You might not be in the top five in the Ironman competition, but if you look at the world's population and you say out of these 7 billion people, how many have run an Ironman? How many have competed in an Ironman? I mean, just the fact that you're in an iron, you've done an Ironman. I think that puts you in elite status. And after all, I mean, on those type of ultra endurance athletic events, you, in my mind, you're not racing against others. You're racing against yourself. You, I mean, you you are. I mean, if you are a finisher, you are among the elite. I guess, yeah. When you when you zoom it out enough, it's it's fair to say. But I, I think there's a difference between you saying that and me trying to say that. And so, if 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 someone else wants to adorn me with whatever words they want, you know, go ahead and put me down or 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 build me up. That's up to you and who you are. Um, they can go right ahead. But I'm I'm going to try to shoot as straight as I can for what keeps me moving forward inside my own story. And I don't think I need to think of myself as some like super elite. I don't think that helps me with how I interpret the world, feel a stronger sense of motivation to move forward. I think yeah. I'd rather just be the underdog. <laughs> Understood. I can appreciate that. But being a, a guy who's out of the general purpose man category, I, I look upon <laughs> you and your and your feats as as being elite. So uh, keep it up. Well, thank you. All right. All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I've got some uh, some other questions to ask you and and some other life events to discuss with you. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. 
Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Through hiker owned, Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. After those uh, words from our sponsors, we are talking to Jason Hardrath. Maybe he's low key. Maybe he's, I, I thought about the number five as well. Five. I mean, that seemed to be an important number to you trying to get to that. You know, that was the, the, the mile time that you were listening for. It's the only thing that mattered. You said, so, I mean, that, that seems like an important number in your life. Five. Yeah. Five, hmm. fiver. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. I'd have to think about that one. All right. We'll, we'll keep throwing them out as they come along. We'll see what happens. Hey, and another thing you told me about before the episode, and I'm, I'm interested to hear about, is this whole event that happened in 2015, which which in in my mind doesn't seem that long ago. It's seven years ago, I know. But you know that 2015 was the year of my first experience in the Sierras, first real experience in the Sierras. So, I mean, it, it seems pretty fresh in my mind. Uh, what happened in 2015 with you? So, yeah, uh, you know, you play out the long course of that story of one thing leading to another, uh, all the way up to where I was doing Ironman triathlon and taking it, taking it pretty seriously. Uh, I qualified for a couple of 70.3 world championships. Um, and I'd qualified at the end of 2014 because the calendar year for Ironman flips kind of weird. I'd qualified for the 2015 uh, world championships. And I was like, all right, sweet. Like I got to train hard this winter. I'm going to have this big breakthrough year. And so train hard from 2014 winter all the way into 2015 on like February that year, I put in a hundred training hours, um, like hard quality training hours in the month of February. Right. Which is insane. Cause it's the middle of winter and cold and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, just coming into the season, the 2015 season, just like, Oh, like not only am I going to go compete well at this, uh, 70.3 world championship. I think I'm qualified for Kona this year. I'm going to Kona this year. Like this is like, I was just on another level. Uh, so fast forward to May of that year. And on Sunday, I believe Sunday, May 5th, I might be one day off on that now. Um, I go out for a 140 mile bike ride and I get off the bike and I go for a run and I finish that. And I'm just like, I'm going to, you know, call up my friends and go play frisbee or something. Cause I feel great. Like, this is it. This is the year. Like I'm just on another level right now. And that Tuesday 
I rolled my car and went out the window um, and broke my shoulder in two places, collapsed a lung, broke nine ribs, shredded my LCL and ACL in my right knee, uh, put internal contusions through my lungs and other internal organs. Um, and uh, yeah, by Wednesday, I, you know, well, by Tuesday night, I couldn't get my own drink of water, like going from feeling superhuman and just on this, this next level to, I can't like, I'm thirsty and I can't do anything about it. Um, and that was, a a rough point to say the least. Um, it was the first time my physical body had ever been unable to operate according to my desires and especially according to what I knew it was capable of. Um, so that loss of trust, loss of function, um, obviously I was in a tremendous amount of pain. Um, and it was pretty traumatic to like have to have a lung reinflated and, uh, to just be fighting for all your worth. Um, as if you were like running wind sprints and you have to keep choosing to run the wind sprints. But if you choose, instead of being able to choose to stop, it's like, if you choose to stop, then you're suffocating. Um, and so to go, to go through that and to come out the other end, um, and then to be like, oh yeah, all this stuff you love, you know, the first doctor I had, I brought up this love, like I'm still all broken up. Um, I brought up this love that I had for racing and triathlon and running and, and all this stuff. And he's like, oh, you're probably going to let that part of your life go. And then walks out to go see his next patient. Um, and it was just like a shot through the heart. Like the only version of myself I'd known was this expresses himself through physical activity and competition version of myself, uh, pursuing physical excellence version of myself, um, seeking mastery in physical pursuits version of myself, right? The, these were, these were the only like channels that I'd really channeled the fullness of who I was into since middle school since well, since before middle school. Cause I, you know, told the skater story, um, and so at first there's this massive, just like dip in my spirits, like, oh, like, I don't even know how to process that. But then, you know, maybe a spirit, having, having a spirit of defiance isn't always a bad thing. Then in kind of the next breath, the next rhythm, it was, you don't know who I am. You don't know how, how uncomfortable I'm willing to make myself, how much I'm willing to suffer to achieve the things I want to achieve. And just kind of calling upon all of those years of hard workouts and big, you know, suffer fest, long bike rides and long runs and all this stuff. It's like, no, if I'm willing to do that, I'm going to be willing to do this physical therapy and do whatever's necessary to a degree that he's not expecting. And I'm going to get a better result. But at the same time, you know, that hard knock I mentioned in high school with never getting near the high school record, it taught me a lesson as well, where it's like, okay, you have to be realistic. And so I had to make a, a tangible agreement with myself in that moment. Like, what is it I'm aiming at? And I had to acknowledge, like, I might not ever qualify for a world championship again in a triathlon. Like those days, the damage to my lungs, I might not be able to move the amount of oxygen necessary to run at those paces and to bike at those paces ever again. You know, the knee might not ever recover enough that I can run at those speeds ever again. Um, so it's like, what is the realistic thing I can aim at? And the agreement I made with myself while I was still in that room was I'm not going to let up. I'm not going to relent. I'm not going to quit 
until I get back to some version of what I love. And, and that was the parameter. Um, it was around love and, and the things I love are expressing myself in physical pursuits. And so, yeah, it was, it ended up being this, an important moment, but like also kind of a pivot point, um, that transitioned me from this very like roadrunner focused triathlon focused, um, human being to pushing more into the, into the outdoors bit by bit. And I can go more into that story if you want, or, or we could jump, jump a different direction. Yeah. Let's put a pin in that for now, but I have some follow-up questions. One is, um, you know, most people that get ejected from a car, I don't think live to tell about it. I mean, that's a, that's, Oh yeah. Mathematically I should have died like so much. So, um, yeah. And one of the, one of the other doctors in the emergency room was like, Oh yeah. If you were like a typical, like an average American, uh, you would have suffocated on the side of the road probably. Um, so it's like, you know, this trade your trade, your Ironman fitness for a get out of death free card, Mm -hmm. um, for whatever that's worth. Um, but yeah, no, I should have, I should have died. Like the fact that I didn't smash because it wasn't like soft grassy ground. I landed on either. It was like Rocky, you know, shoulder terrain of a road. Um, and somehow I only came away with the injuries that I did. Um, it's kind of, kind of crazy. Single car accident. Yep. I was, uh, it's like, I tell my students, um, it's not usually something big that gets you. It's a series of little mistakes that all add up. I was stressed out, um, had had a rough day of teaching where it seemed like every, every group of kids I taught the whole day wanted to get in a fight about something. Um, and then the other track coach didn't show up. So I solo coached the entire track team. Um, and then I volunteered to be a representative for our, our school at the district office, which is 25 miles away. And I was running late because of running practice. And so I'm like, you know, being a younger teacher at the time, I'm like, I'm about to be late to a meeting with the superintendent. Um, and I'm like, this is bad. Um, so I'm like driving too fast and uh, in a hurry and forget to put the seatbelt on. Um, and like, I realize I have enough self-awareness to realize like, oh, I'm stressed out. I'm like, my head's all over the place right now. I should turn on some music and try to like chill out, even though I'm driving way too fast right now. Um, so I go to reach, you know, I had an AUGS cable at the time, right. You know, this is in the past. So, uh, you know, seven years ago, so long, uh, went to plug the AUGS cable into the phone, caught the shoulder, went out the window as the vehicle rolled. Um, yeah. Did it it all slow down in your, in your mind at that moment? I mean, do you, do you remember what you were thinking or what, what you were feeling as the car started to roll and you found yourself being flung out the window? Um, so, yeah, I can remember there was definitely that slow motion vibe as it caught the shoulder. And so like, I'm like reaching. And so then I like try to like counter, but it's a little car. I was in like a little geo Metro. Um, so no, you know, it's gutless and it's like getting sucked in. There's nothing I can do. Um, and I remember the momentum of the roll starting and feeling the energy and, you know, you, you're like, hold it. I have both hands to the wheel at this point. And you like feel as the tension starts to, you know, in your muscles, in the, in the, uh, what do they call them? The Golgi tendon organs that sense how much tension is on your body. And you can like feel the tension, like increasing at such a rate that you just suddenly you like, no, it's like, there's physically nothing I could do. I could manifest a, you know, record best for myself in maximum force my body's ever generated. And I'm still going out that window. 
like no, no amount of strength that I have that I possess physically is going to, and like that moment like comes like, you know, the, the attempt to hold in and then like, Oh, nope. And my final words to myself would have been a self-deprecatory. Well, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this is it. This is how you do it. Um, And then I think that's when my LCL got torn. I think it got torn between the steering wheel and the center console of the car as I was getting thrust out of the vehicle. Cause I lost, I have no conscious recollection of actually going out the window and actually like flying through the air or any of it, which is probably one of the things that made it turn out well, because I flew totally, uh, limp and, and, uh, not like flailing. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably when, uh, cause I don't know why else I would have lost consciousness, um, in that moment, other than if the, it was because it, the knee got shredded in that moment. Um, but yeah, so. Wow. What a moment. What I mean, what, what, I mean, you're literally staring de- death in the face. I mean, you're, you're, you're in a, a situation where, you know, the, the higher percentage of people end up dead and thinking to yourself, this, this is it. I, I I can't even imagine. The the thing as I reflect on it that's really astonishing about it is how calm I was. The fact that I shifted straight into this like kind of calm, like able to have like humor at myself. Like um, I always try to relay that to like my parents and family and loved ones that it's like, hey, you know, if if I do end up going in the mountains, like I'm probably not screaming and cursing and and you know angry i'm probably kind of like well fucked that up (laughs) should have looked for that rock huh um i'm probably calm and i'm happy that i've lived the life that i have um i don't know to me to me like slowly losing function trapped in a hospital bed sounds like a much much more of a horror show show than um to go out doing something I love. Not that I'm aiming to, right? Not that I'm going to try to go mess up out there. I'm going to give it my best to do the best every time I go, but I don't know. It's, uh, you know, it's not a terrible thing to, to, to have the thing that made you alive in the first place end up also taking the life that it gave. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Weird yeah. philosophical opinion there, but yes, that's right. <laughs> Maybe you're Socrates. I don't know. You're very philosophical. Um, <laughs> You know, one of the things I do during an episode, during an interview, is I'm always on on the lookout for a good episode title. I think we may have just stumbled across it. Uh, <laughs> I think it's the episode title is "Well, shit, this is it." I mean, that, that that's pretty good. Right? Yes, please. <laughs> uh, this 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 episode can serve as my epitaph. <laughs> <laughs> you can have this played at your at your services. Yep. There we go. All right. Yeah. And the other question I wanted to ask you is that doctor in his bedside manner, do you think that that was a calculated move on his part to say, you know what, if I tell this guy it's all over, he can't do this anymore. That's going to push him to rehab even harder and be successful with that rehabilitation. Or you just think that maybe he had crappy bedside manner. I, I think sadly today in the Sue happy American culture, he was covering his butt like, he was going like, okay, what's the u- worst usual outcome that comes from these things? And I'm just going to spout that off. So that way expectations are low. So it never can circle back. Like if they get anything better than that, they're going to be happy. Um, 
So sadly, I think there was some of that and some just he had probably like nine other patients to see that day before he could go home to his family. And so it was just like, what's the most quick, statistically honest answer I can give and then get on to the next thing? Um, You know, he wasn't there to have a heart to heart. Um, So, yeah, I, I don't I don't blame him. It's sad that, you know, our culture like drives things that way but i don't think he had he was having the presence of mind or a strong enough knowledge of me as a human being to be like this guy needs some reverse psychology um but yeah maybe he'll hop on a podcast episode and say otherwise (laughs) maybe if you're listening call in let me know all right hey i I really want to get to the journey to 100 but before we get there i was intrigued by a a message that didn't actually make its way into the outline until today i went back through our messages and realized that you had you had done something called the uh the Norman's 13. Yeah, yeah, Norman's that 13. The, that's and does uh, Norman does Norman refer to Clyde Norman? Yes. It is uh in his his name. He's the namesake. Yeah. yeah. What what a guy he was. I, I devoted an entire episode in season one to Clyde Norman and just his exploits. Did you know he was a high school principal? I did not know that. He was a high school principal for independence in independence uh, uh, just to the east of the the Sierras and the townspeople uh, kind of uh, rode him out of town. They, they had the, the town council fire him because on one, I think it was Halloween. We're, we're, we're close to Halloween right now, but on Halloween night, I think maybe his second or third year as principal, he uh, got wind of the fact that there were some seniors who were going to come by and vandalize the school like they do every Halloween. And so he he showed up to prevent that from happening and he saw the car approaching and he fi- actually told them to leave. They wouldn't leave. And so he fired a warning shot. He pulled his gun out. He had a, you know, this is back in the day, <laughs> pulled his gun out, pulled his sidearm out and fired a warning shot uh, low into the left of the car. But it hit a rock and actually ricocheted into the car. And didn't hurt anybody, but there was a bullet hole in the car. And that was that was it for him. And you know what? It was probably good for the Sierras that that happened because he went on to then just be full-time in the Sierras doing all kinds of amazing things, search and rescues and first first ascents and all kinds of other just fantastic stuff. So I am really interested to hear what the Norman's 13 is. This is the first time I've ever heard of it. Um, yeah, so it was thought up by a guy named uh, Andy Golich, I, I think Golich is how you say his last name, Golich. Um, uh, he, he can insult me if he listens to this episode and uh, I mispronounced his name. Um, but Andy, super cool guy. Um, he like even reached out. He found me on social media and reached out before I started my effort on Norman's 13 this year, um, this last summer. Um, so like wish me luck because um, it was something he thought up and attempted, but like due to weather never completed. And then he never was able to get back around to taking another attempt at it. Um, two other guys have managed to finish it since. And uh, what it is, is it's a 107 mile uh, foot traverse through the Sierra where it's kind of a peak beggars traverse. You're not, you don't like stay true to any one ridge line the whole time. Um, so you like come down and use trail or use goalies, but you tag all of the 14ers, all 13 14ers, of the Sierra range um, on foot in between each and use a good chunk of the JMT to do that. Um, but yeah, you start down at Langley. Yeah. I was, I was my, for some reason, my brain always wants to flip flop Langley and Tyndall. Um, well, you could start, you can start in the North either. I went South to North mm-hmm. um, because I had other reasons that I'll get to in a second. 
Um, but yeah, started at Langley, uh, ran up tagged that summit, ran across, uh, got, went up and got Muir and then Whitney Russell, uh, then did the long ocean of Talus to, to get across, uh, to Williamson and about, after about 23 hours and 47 minutes of nonstop going tagged the top of Tyndall and made it back down to camp, uh, there at shepherd pass, um, took a few hours of sleep, a couple hours of sleep, really, uh, got up, did the 45, 47 mile JMT push over Forrester. Uh, is it Glenn and then, Pincho or is it Pincho and then Glenn? I think it's Forrester, Glenn, then Pincho. Yeah. And uh, then tagged Split Mountain on top of that ultra day. Um, came back down, slept next to a little lake there. Woke up the next day, went over Mather and got north or excuse me, middle Palisade. Then made the Talisay Traverse over to Sill and got Sill, Pulmonium, uh North Pal, St- Starlight, and Thunderbolt, uh, and tagged Thunderbolt right in the final, like as it got dark, um, and that was kind of a a rager of a time, um, you know, pushing into the third night after, and again, like that that day two, um, again was a twenty three hour, like twenty three hour thirty minute push, um, so then got a got a little bit of sleep and did this whole push and my mantra, my mantra, like choosing to climb Tyndall in the middle of the night after 22 hours of pushing was keep the dream alive. Cause I knew it's like, this is the schedule I have to stay on. If I want all of the things I want to have happen, happen. Cause originally I was trying to be the first person to break three days. Um, I still bet bested the record by nine hours, but I didn't quite hit my three day mark. Um, what was your total time? Three days, two hours and 23 minutes. Yeah, so pretty impressive. Pretty, pretty wild impressive. push. Yeah. But yeah, the the mantra from Sill pushing across that fifth class terrain as the sun is like setting. And I know, like I know I can go two nights sleep deprived and not have weird stuff happen. Like it gets hard. It's difficult, obviously, but it doesn't like get where I'm sloppy and weird and it's dangerous. Um, but the third night sleep deprived, I've done this, I've been around this block enough. I knew I I will get really messy and we cannot be on fifth class terrain anymore when, when darkness fully sets in. And so from sill, after we got up sill and I like the, the, you know, the thing I was repeating to myself as we're climbing sill is like, don't, don't pop yourself. Don't light too many matches, like keep it calm. But the moment we made that last big climb up sill, cause you kind of stay high for the remaining peaks on the Palisade Traverse there. I was like, don't die up here. Like that was the just a full switch flip where it's like all reserves on, all survival energy on, just go. And we just raged across the Palisade Traverse in like three hours and 15 minutes um, in the setting sun. And it was just an amazing experience. So it um, went from it went from keep the dream alive to don't die up here. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um and, and my, then my regular my regular listeners they know what's coming next because you said you're good at being sleep deprived. You know what I think would be a a good next adventure for you, Jason, is the Barkley marathons. <laughs> have you heard about those? I have, of course. Oh uh, my I, I'm God. that friend. I'm that friend that all of my other friends ask me when I'm going to do the Barkley. Yes. Um... Yes. All right. <laughs> 
And what's the answer? Uh, when I get an invitation. Let's go with that. I don't think you get invitations <laughs> to that. I think you have to apply. There's some secret process for applying that uh, is not widely known at all. You've got to talk to the right people to figure it out. But uh, I've, I've talked to some world-class athletes on this on this show that have participated in the Barclays before. And the Barclays is just brutal. But I think that if you can operate uh, at a certain level of sleep deprivation and you're good at wayfinding, I mean, I, that that might be that might be in your skill set right there. Might be. It might be. I've the the only thing about it that's not that intriguing to me. Like, if you could put the same thing up in the Sierra or up in the Alpine, um, I'd be like, oh yeah, let's go do this. Like, let's go. Like, I'm gonna have to like be sleep deprived and like scramble fourth class and fifth class. Like, let's do it. Um, but since you're kind of down in the in the brush and the brambles and the briars just the whole time. It's like, I don't know. I don't know if my spirit would be in it. And like you, your spirit like has to be in it when you're, when you go to do something like that, you have to be willing to die for, you know, die for the cause, so Hardcore. to speak. And I, I just, I just wonder, cause like all of my best efforts involve being in the Alpine. It's, it's extensive movement in Alpine environments. And it's like, that's where my heart and spirit is. I love being up there. And I just don't know. I just don't know if I'd be able to, like, I wouldn't want to let myself and other people down, like trying to ramp myself up and go there and then just like kind of hate the experience and not be in it and be like, you know what? I'm done. Like, I'm just not, I'm not here. Um, it is so legendary though. And so quirky. I mean, there's just so many odd details about the Barkley that uh, even though it's, it's a little bit lower than you're used to. I mean, just, I think the whole experience is type of, is kind of legendary. Yeah, it's true. You make a good point there. I've I've talked to Wardian, Mike Wardian. I've talked to uh, Jeff Garmeyer, AKA legend. I've talked to Jamil Corey, all of these guys who are just literally world-class athletes out there doing things that, that nobody does. And they've all had a shot. Maybe some of them, a couple of them, multiple shots at the, at the Barkley. And it just, it just kicks their butt. I mean, it's, it's crazy how difficult that is. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one race where most years, nobody finishes it. So yeah, it's a special kind of event. Yeah. I don't want to make it too competitive for you, but you know, Ashley kind of dropped it that she was thinking about entering. So. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, you are, you are a terrible man. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hey, that was fantastic. Hearing about Norman's 1307 miles uh, in three days, two hours and 23 minutes. That's kind of you almost you almost made it to three days. I mean, that's, that's I know pretty, so pretty close. dang close. Yeah, so close. Um, yeah, I was a little heartbroken, but I was happy to to get it done because I'd gotten, I you know talk about freak accidents. Uh, actually, in May, uh, of this year, you know, so just a couple months prior to doing this effort, I got hit by a deer. Uh, like a herd of deer went in front, and there was one straggler, and it freaked out and drilled me as I was descending a hill at forty miles an hour on my bike. Um, and so ended up in the hospital, lost a bunch of skin contusions, my hip, like when I did this effort, my, my hip still had fluid in it, um, was still swollen and had fluid in it. Um, so it was like, I almost thought like at first it's like, well, there goes my whole summer. Like I got injured right before summer. Um, but managed to come away with no broken bones, no major internal organ problems, just like a lot of missing skin and a lot of swelling. Um, and so I actually did a different kind of 
push a different link up called Convoluted Bliss in Tuolumne Meadows. Um, it's about a 41 mile ridge ridge line traverse um, of the Merced River drainage. And only one team had ever finished it. And so I grabbed a couple other guys since I wasn't quite confident being out there solo. And I was like, Hey, let's go give this thing a go. Like, we'll, we'll just kind of go casual fast, see if we can cut the time in half. Cause the previous team did it in eight days in just kind of a full on, like a uh, heavy duty sort of mountain siege, uh, process. Um, and we're like, all right, we're going to go light and fast, but we're not going to go like crazy hard. Um, because it's kind of a test run for me to see if I can still trust myself out there. And I, I knew I could trust those two guys. If I started to have problems, they're really good guys. Um, and ended up finishing it. And it was like, okay, like I'm beat up and it hurts and I'm not as fit as I want to be. And I'm not as fast as I want to be, but it's possible. And this is the summer I know I have to do it. So I'm just going to go for it. And I still wanted to try to break the three hour mark or the three day mark, but just ran the bank account dry and came up a little short on being able to write a big enough check for it. So with that, all that said, I'm still really happy with three days, two hours. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. What a, what an accomplishment. And Jason has to tell you that, you know, we, we've kicked around uh, low key. Right? We've thrown out five or fiver. Um, I was even thinking about, you sound like you kind of identified as an Iron Man. So I was thinking about uh, maybe Stark as in Tony Stark, Iron Man. Stark, <laughs> that might be a good one. But I'm really thinking now after hearing your stories, you know, the, the you know, getting thrown from the car, getting hit by a deer at uh, while riding a bike at 40 miles an hour downhill. I think your trail name is Lotto because, uh, man, <laughs> you are you are a lucky guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I definitely heard it both ways. Anybody that's never heard of uh, like a motorcyclist or a bicyclist getting hit by an animal um, before I was like, Oh my God, you're so unlucky. I've never even heard of that. Like, wow. But then anybody who has heard or had a friend have an, a person on animal collision of any kind are like, Oh my God, you're so lucky that happened to my friend. And he was in PT for five years, like hardly able to walk or da, 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 or neck injuries or blah, blah, blah. So it's like, I have really unlucky things happen to me, but I end up with like the statistically unusually good result. Um, and it still hurts a lot. Like it's not fun, but, um, yeah, no, definitely got, got out of both of those, uh, relatively unscathed. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, hey, Lotto, tell us about, uh, <laughs> journey to 100 and Washington's 100 tallest peaks. Absolutely. Uh, so the wild thing that happened pivoting, I mentioned pivoting after the, the car accident is I couldn't really run and I was kind of doing a lot of PT to recover and I started hiking because like, all right, I, I don't have to have, you know, when we walk up and down steep hill, we kind of keep our knees a little bit bent anyways. Um, and I couldn't straighten my injured knee all the way for a long, long time. Um, so it's like, all right, I can't run, but I'll hike hills and hills led to mountains, mountains led to bigger mountains. Pretty soon I'm doing mountains that have like technical summit blocks. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm a rock climber now. Like let's jump into the climbing gym and just go all in with like bouldering and figuring out how to how to climb, uh, you know, these rock routes. And it's like, all right, so now I'm a rock climber and a hiker and a mountaineer and like, okay, there's glaciers on some mountains. Like, let's learn all about that and the rope skills and all this. And so I'm like accumulating these skill sets and I'm accumulating like this experience in the mountains while simultaneously doing all this rehab for the knee and, and stuff to get back to where I can run again. And, you know, fast forward through like two years of that. And I get to a place where I can, finally go out and go for like a, a 10 or a 20 mile shuffle jog 
and the knee doesn't turn into a massive grapefruit. It's like, oh, like I just, I just went out and I, I moved a significant, significant amount of distance and my knee didn't swell up. And it's like, you know, I was having multiple occasions where I'd go climb a mountain or do a hike and my knee wouldn't be swollen afterwards. It's like, okay, like, this is cool. This is new. Like, this is a breakthrough. Um, and I was like, all right, well, there's a bunch of cool peaks I'd like to go do, but they're kind of way out there. And I might as well like see how many of them I can get done on the same trip if I'm going to go drive over there. So it's like, I'm just going to go pack super light and just go like bag these technical peaks and just run in between them and then just circle it back to my car. And, and like, that'll be a rad weekend and I'll come back and tell my students about it. And it'll be a cool story. Well, shortly after getting into this process, this lifestyle, um, I discover FKTs fastest known times. And it's like, well, shit, this is basically what I'm doing. Like I'm, I'm out here just like chasing these peaks and connecting them in creative ways. And let's see how far down this rabbit hole I can go. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I've done it now so I can talk about how early that the idea popped into my head. Um, it was pretty much immediately. I knew I was going to try to do a hundred of these. Um, I didn't talk about it to anybody publicly back then. Cause how ridiculous would it have been for some guy to be like, I'm going to do a hundred after the person that had the most had like 43 or something at the time, 43 or 47. So it'd be like, I'm going to do a hundred of these people would have been like, this guy's crazy. Um, but I knew right away, it's like, I'm going to find a way to do a hundred different experiences like this because it's exactly what I want to be doing. And it was kind of like this personal gauntlet to sort of reclaim my personal power and my ability to, you know, do what I love. It's like, this is what I love. This is some grand expression of it. Like, let's go. Um, and so, yeah, started this journey to a hundred FKTs. And I mean, some of them were trail runs, some of them were, uh, soloing rock routes like running running from the trailhead up to a rock route soloing up to the top of a peak and then running off the trail down the backside and back to the car so some of them were like pretty short but really intense um others were uh things like the rainier infinity loop which is climbing up over rainier down the other side circumnavigating back around to where you started on the wonderland going up and over again back down the other side and then doing the other part of the wonderland trail um, to complete a, a two halves of a circumnavigation and finish where you started. So I started getting into things like that, that mixed like mountaineering skills and sleep deprivation and trail running. And I'm just like, this is my jam. Like, okay, let's keep going bigger and keep exploring what's possible. And so I did like three more infinity loops, um, a bunch of summit circumnavigates, a bunch of like started getting into some Ridge traverse things, um, routes, and then I even got into like canyoneering, like slot canyons, semi-technical, minorly technical slot canyons that felt appropriate to like go fast and hard in and you know, sort of like nature's obstacle course, if you will. Um, there are definitely some of those that shouldn't in any way be competed in because they're just too dangerous. But um, with some of the lesser technical ones, it was like, this is perfect. This is like boulder problems and like a couple of repels and a lot of running. Um, this is awesome. Um but then, yeah, over the course of this thing, right? Like I'm racking these up, going all these different places, doing rock routes, doing link ups, doing uh, things on volcanoes, like infinity loops. And people actually start paid, paying attention to it. Like they're actually interested in it. You know, I kind of wondered like that might happen, but I was like, whatever, like this is my thing. I'm just going to go chase the stuff that makes me feel alive. Um, but people started asking, well, what are you going to do for a hundred? At this point, I was public about it. I was like 70, 60, 70 FKTs in. So it's like, okay, it's not crazy for me to say I'm going to do 100 of these now. I have enough of a resume. Or maybe it is still crazy. Who who am I to say that? 
Um, anyways, uh, people started asking. So it's like, well, I guess I should maybe do something like super cool for number 100. Like, let's make it big. Like, let's go big for 100. Wouldn't want people to say I took the easy way. Um, and the Bulgers list of Washington's 100 tallest peaks, it's called the Bulgers list because that's what the people who originally climbed them, the original like six, seven people that climbed them called themselves. Um, and it, it had come across my radar once before and someone was like, oh yeah, that current record's really strong. It's going to stand for a long time. And the current, the record at that point was 410 days. And I, I knew enough about mountains and what I'd seen athletes do and what I'd done myself that I, I was kind of like, I didn't say anything on the thread, but I'm like, no, somebody's going to come along and beat that. Like, even if the mountains are as hard as everybody talks about, like with insane bushwhacking and no access and glaciers and rock climbing and trails only going on two of them. Um, like even if they're absolutely heinous, the slowest an athlete is going to do it is one peak a day. Like they're going to find a way to average one peak a day and hit a hundred, a hundred days for a hundred peaks. Like even if they're that hard. Um, and then fast forward, somehow it bumps back across my radar as I get into this phase of like, well, what do I want to do for a hundred? And suddenly it hit me in a whole new light where I was like a hundred peaks for the hundredth FKT in a push. And then the question became, can I figure out the logistics? And this is what really attracted me to it. It was sort of this like reaching into the chaos, right? I do well, I do well reaching into chaos. Like if I'm put into too much structure and order, I get like, I feel stifled and I want out. Like I, I have to be able to like roam and just let craziness happen and, and all that. Um, so it was like, oh, is this even possible? There was this question of like, can it even be climbed in a season? And if so, how fast can it be done? And I don't have the luxury of it taking me a hundred days because my school summer is only 75-ish days long, right? So now, now it's like often the constraints around us are what make the things we do most interesting. And so it was like, I have to find a way to fit these hundred mountains that have never been done in this style into a school summer so I can do a clean, don't go home till it's done push. And, you know, did the logistics like six months worth of phone calls with other mountaineers and Zoom chats and looking at different maps on Caltopo and other places and planning routes and loading GPX files. And, you know, probably my, my it basically I look like that, you know, the crazy guy in the uh, conspiracy film that has all the yarn on things. Basically, I had the digital equivalent of that on my computer um, and it looked like some kind of crazy person's uh, mapping system and realized it could go in 50 days. And I was like, all right, if things go right, I can do this in 50 days or just barely under. Um, but 50 days is a reasonable aim because you got to like, with something that big, you have to have some like wiggle room for like, I might need a day off before going into fifth class terrain so I don't kill myself or I might miss the boat or, you know, a road might get closed. Um, and... I was like, all right, 50 days. Like that gives me, you know, even if stuff goes way wrong, that's still way less than 75 days. Um, so it's like, I should do this. And it went quickly from, I should do this to, okay, this is what I have to do. Like, there's not an option. I knew this is what, this is what the world has meant for me. Um, and so just aligned and went for it. Uh, yeah. And spent 50, 50 days, 23 hours, 43 minutes climbing Washington's hundred tallest peaks, um, with wild bushwhacking and glacier travel and, soloing on rock climbing routes and just living in every kind of way I would care to live for 
for 50 days straight. Um, Holy smokes. So you took it from 410 days to 50 days, 23 hours. Yes. Wow. Wow. It was one of the, it was one of the largest margins. Yeah. in in recent history that an FKT has been bettered by. Um, but I knew what I was aiming at, right? Like it was, it, it had the, you know, the orienteering, it had the bushwhacking, it had the glacier travel, it had the rock climbing, it had all these components, right? And I'm a school teacher. I can't help but think in ways that I've been influenced to think. It felt like the perfect final cumulative exam, right? Like 50 days of doing iterations of every single thing I've tested myself on and been attracted to in every previous FKT, but it's nonstop for 50 days. It was like, this is it. This is like the perfect final exam. Um, and yeah, so I knew, I knew what I was attempting to do. I wasn't just trying to beat the record by a little bit. I was attempting to redefine how people thought about the entire list. I wanted to move it from it being thought of as like, Oh, this big endeavor that you put years of your life into, Um, you know, the guy who did it the fastest did it in like over a year, like most people take 10 years or more. Um, and I wanted to move it into this category, like sort of Colorado's 14ers or thought where it's like, no, this is a project you can take a summer, you can take a, a spring and a summer and a fall or whatever. You can take like a season, a single season. And that's what the phrase I used was bulgers in a season, like to show people this can be done. And, you know, people ask me things like, Oh, are you going to, are you going to do it human powered? Like, are you going to bike in between? Cause that's been done on like Colorado's 14ers. People have biked between them all. I'm like, I'd actually thought about it in my initial planning. Like, should I try to figure that out and do human power? Cause I like cycling as well, obviously with my background in Ironman. Um, and I was like, no, that's not for me. That's for someone who comes next. Like I had the clarity of thought to be like, I need to prove that it can be done and focus 100% of my attention on that. And then people will come along later who want to show what else can be done. But first this step has to be taken. And sure enough, this year, earlier, earlier this year, uh, a guy reached out who wants to put together the first human powered, self-powered push on him. And so we're talking back and forth about his itinerary and his plan. And so it's like, cool. He'd like, somebody's going to do what I thought would happen if I did this. And another kid reached out who's like, I want to try to be a person who climbs them all in a season, bulgers in a season. Um, So it's like, okay, this, this has actually reshaped the thinking on this set of peaks. So I'm not just one crazy guy. I've made other people crazy too. It's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing what happens when people realize that something is possible. I mean, if you just think back to, I don't know if you ever watched Valley Uprising about the history of rock climbing in, in Yosemite Valley. Uh, I think it took the first the first guy, I don't know, 18 months to climb El Capitan. I mean, they, they, they'd go up, they'd get so far, they'd come back down for supplies, they'd go back and forth, 18 months. But then they finally did it. And now, you know, from, from that moment where people thought, okay, this is now possible, uh, the record has just constantly uh, fallen uh, uh, quicker and quicker. And so now you've got, you've got people like uh, Alex Honnold now climbing it in, you know, three or four hours. And so once people realize that something is possible, it's a whole paradigm shift and people start understanding what they can actually do. Yep. No. And, and there was, I had enough awareness that I knew I was participating in something like that. And the cool part is there's a whole community around these mountains, right? They're very special with people that live in the state. Um, they have like a celebration dinner. I'm actually going to be the MC here this weekend for, for this year's iteration of the celebration dinner of people who've finished up the list. 
Um, and it's cool because it was meaningful to them too. Um, it was, it was, a, it was cool to see that group rally and be excited for someone to, to like bring that much attention and love and like passion, uh, to their beloved mountains to, to like do this. And then, yeah, now it's, it's also cool to see the people that are coming after, you know, the, the whole field of dreams thing, build it and they will come. Right. Um, it's like now the Bulgers, it's like, yeah, okay. This can be done in a season. I want to, I want to give it a go. Like this seems awesome. Um, nice. So, yeah, no, it's fun. It's fun to have participated in some small way in moving the needle on what people think is possible. That's fantastic. Congratulations. And Jason, I've thrown a lot of trail names at you. I'm going to throw one more out. This one, this one might stick. I, who knows? Uh, this is a word that you mentioned early on, uh, earlier in the story here that I think is meaningful to you. Uh, so maybe this is it. What about pivot? Pivot. I mean, you 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 were on the Ironman trajectory, doing all kinds of incredible things, and then you had this moment in your life, and you you pivoted and uh, got into some some peak bagging and some incredible things there as well. Not a bad one. That one that one has some uh, that one has some real depth to it. Yeah. Hmm. That one. Yeah. I think I think I I think you're on a general a general strong upward trajectory with these. Okay, good. Um, good. We, we've gone upwards. A little <laughs> hey, pivot. You know where we are right now? I think you're going to tell me. <laughs> uh, I sure am. The pro tip insight of the week. All That's right. Calf. We are at that time of the episode where pivot is going to be able to uh, share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. What do you have for us? Uh, all right. Um, so let's, which way do I want to take this? I've been, I've been thinking which direction I want to go. Um, hmm. So I think, I think it's really easy to jump into a camp of like, Oh, like pushing super fast is, is dumb. Like you're missing the whole point. Um, like when, you know, sadly, when my, when my girlfriend Ashley poured her heart and soul, because she's had a dream after backpacking the JMT multiple times of doing a, a fast pack, like ultra style push, like people were insulting about it. Like, that's dumb. It's like, no, it's not like it. It's not like it's the first time and she's never going to go back and see it. And, you know, people are like you miss the views. Um, well, I've never complained about missing the views while doing four miles an hour in my car. Um, it's like some people, to me, it's this, it's like, you've got the kid that wants to push himself hard in the PE mile and you got a bunch of kids that don't want to push themselves at all. And both of those are expressions of the people inside. Like who are the people inside that show up? And I think whether you want to go slow and soak in every moment of a place, and and take as much time as possible before returning to your normal life or you want to move through a place fast and you want to memorize it to such a degree that you know where you're putting your feet and where you're putting your hands and where where like you're the down to the nuanced details of like i won't refill water until this stream crossing um knowing exactly how far you can stretch yourself to make a thing happen it's like both of those aren't different in their intimacy. Like the degree of intimacy and love that has to go into 
creating an expression, whether it's I'm going to be out there for 90 days to cover 200 miles, or I'm going to spend six days to cover 200 miles. Like those are both expressions of love. And I think, I think it's easy to get caught up in a camp where you just want to point fingers and go, no, what they're doing is dumb. What we're doing is better. But, but the moment you spend any real amount of time thinking about it, you sort of like come to this realization. That's like, no, both of those, both of those are beautiful expressions of the same thing of, of wanting to care about a place enough to experience it differently. Um, and to bring a bit of your own nature to bear on how you experience the nature that's in front of you. Um, so I guess that would be, that'd be the direction I think I, I would take my trail wisdom for, for this round. Jason, that's awesome. I'm glad you said that because it's kind of the, it's kind of our society in a nutshell right now, people in their camps, uh, hurling insults at the other without putting a whole lot of thought into it. So I, I think, uh, your, your reminder to be thoughtful and appreciative for, for people's perspectives and the way they approach things. I think that's, that's very important in this day and age. So thank you. I agree. I think it is important in today's day and age and, and you're welcome. <laughs> All right. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Jason. I want to thank him for joining us this week. Pivot. How can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Well, I'm going to have to change my Instagram handle now. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, I'm on Instagram at uh, just at Jason Hardrath, first and last name, no weird punctuation or or anything. Um, that's probably the social media I'm most active on, uh, on Twitter here and there to say silly things. Um, and then I do have a, I do have a website where you can go find information about journey to 100. That's just jasonhardrath.com or just find it on YouTube. Uh, journey to 100 you can search it in the search bar and it pops up or outside watch if you go to such places um yeah please do watch journey to 100 share it with some friends um it's not just a film about some guy that did a cool thing i think it's got some cool messages for young people in it um it was a wonderful privilege to get to go travel around with the film a bit and speak speak to some some audiences after the film doing question and answer sort of like this but being able to like really connect with young people in the audience. Um, and it kind of tells that tale of, Hey, I was a kid that struggled and this is what ended up being possible for me. Um, and that has really resonated with some young people. So, you know, maybe if you have some, some young people in your life, it could, uh, it could be a tool that helps them see, see something else out on their horizon. Hey, do your students realize how lucky they are to have, have a teacher like you? Do they, do they realize what you've done out there? You know, I think, well, I mean, how could you really know, right? When you're six years old or 11 years old, That's like, right. yeah. it would be the, it would be the water you swim in. You would just think like all PE teachers are like this. Um, you know, I, I mean, I do get the, the review, any, any PE teacher I assume gets where my kindergartners think I am the best PE teacher in the world. Um, and so let's go with that. That Yes. I'm the best PE teacher in the world, according to my kindergartners. Nice. All right. Hey, remember to check out the, the pod on social media as well. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you've got comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakamere at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. Pivot, I'm also looking at you to share a recommendation for a book, movie, documentary, website, some kind of adventure media to keep our listeners connected to the outdoors. We're calling this our Adventure Media Recommendation. And I'm already going to stipulate that... Uh, the top of their list should be journey to 100, but what else do you have for us? Yeah, we've already covered journey to 100 and yeah, people are going to check that out. Um, let's see here. 
let's let's pull a book out of the blue um i think a beautiful book from a different vein than what we often spend our time doing as people who are on our feet but that really captures the essence and beauty of everything you can learn and everything that goes on around a an ecosystem and a culture of people doing outdoor things is the emerald mile um it's a book about floating the grand canyon and the the long history of rafting and the building of the dams on the river and you know the ecological impacts and it just goes it goes outward and outward everything you you'll end up learning about boats that were built and and where they were built that came to be the famous dories on the grand canyon and the speed record on the water and you know kind of the some of the similar discussion to to what i mentioned of like you know people have both taken entire years to float the river like as slow as possible and people have done the whole the whole thing through the grand canyon in 36 hours um and it's kind of that same thing of like both of those you have to come to to understand the the place you're you're playing to a degree that most people don't um and uh, yeah it's a cool book it definitely definitely opened my eyes to the to the world of uh whitewater and the world of the grand canyon even more I, i've played in the grand canyon a few times myself running through it and whatnot but it's a it's a space worthy of our attention and worthy of us uh conserving it for those those that are going to come next nice let's check that out the emerald mile the emerald mile Okay. Hey, I'm also going to throw out there to our listeners. Um, by this time, you'll have listened to the episode with Rob Pope, uh, who is the author of Becoming Forest. Have you heard of Rob Pope, Jason? The name vaguely rings a bell, but I can't. I can't recall why. The name of his book is Becoming Forest. He is the Englishman who recreated the Forrest Gump run across America five times. So he he covered more than fifteen thousand miles. Uh, recreating as faithfully from all the clues from the movie as, as as close as possible, the Forrest Gump run. I am in the middle of his book right now, and it is just fantastic. If you want to get a close-up look at America, uh, see it through Rob Pope's eyes as he's he's running back and forth across the country. So very cool. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. <laughs> what have we not asked you? All right, Pivot. Before we wrap things up, I've got just one more segment for you called What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About? What do we miss tonight? Mm, um, yeah, you know, I'll just say this. If if anybody here has interests in uh you know stepping into the FKT world, maybe dabbling in that or or peak bagging, if you've spent a lot of time on the trails and so your systems are super dialed and you're like, all right, what are the what are the things I, I need to be aware of if I'm gonna take more steps off the trail and into the backcountry? Um feel free to reach out. Like I I love to teach. The reason I do is to learn so that I can teach. That's the the sequence of events in my life. And so I'm I'm absolutely happy to to help pass along any sort of uh, encouragement or advice or point you in a direction. If you're like, what should I do? It's like, well, you've done this. Well, this would be a good thing to try. Um, yeah. Totally happy to do that. So there nice. we go. Sounds like you've got that <laughs> process dialed in. That's fantastic. All right. Hey, that's a wrap from the John freaking Muir studio. Any shout outs to friends and family, Jason? Um, yeah, a uh, shout out to my girlfriend who's probably on a flight back from Bhutan right now. She got invited to go over there for the snowman race, which was, if you haven't heard about the snowman race and you're listening to this, you should go like look into the carnage of what it was. Um, 
probably the new hardest race in the world. Uh, 125 miles, reaching a highest height. I think on their on a 30 mile day, they were at 18,000 feet, just under 18,000 feet for a big chunk of the day. So you know, just think of how hard it is to do a 30 mile day at 9,000 feet, and then double that. Um, and so that was just day three of the event. And so this hand selected field of 29 athletes, I think only like 15 or 16 of them finished. And so it's not like a general entry. It's like, these were hand selected people and still only, um, you know, just barely over 50%, uh, managed to muscle through, uh, which is pretty wild. So anyways, um, so shout out to her, uh, for being courageous and going over there. She, she sadly did not make it to the finish line. She had to pull out. Um, but it was a huge, courageous, uh, journey and an amazing experience for her. And then, uh, I guess I'll shout out athletic brewing cause they've been hugely supportive, like making the film and, and helping me on this journey to 100. And I don't know the, the wild thing about them is I have a little bit of their branding on the side of my van. You'll see it in the film. If you watch, um, every trailhead I go to, someone comes up to my window and knocks and you know roll the window down they're like i just gotta let you know like your product helped me change my life and i i'm just like okay i have to pass that thanks on like way way up the chain um but to participate and be a part even just a small role of like helping with visibility as an athlete um to be a part of something that that's what people have to say about it when they find it is a really cool thing it's really easy to to be 100 like heart and soul into it um, so yeah, big shout out to, to athletic brewing for, for helping with this whole journey and making a film. So I have a reason to, a reason to talk to people more. Nice. So yeah, that's fantastic. Now you have set the bar really high for Ashley. You know, she's, she's going to have to come in with her a game to, to, to earn that the right to that hat, best podcast <laughs> guest. But, uh, you know what? It sounds like she's got some, some stuff that she can talk about. I'm, I'm definitely going to talk to her about the, the carnage in the snowman race. So that, that yeah. sounds pretty, pretty good, pretty good stuff. Yeah. Um, and I mean, obviously ask her questions about Bhutan. It's like one of the hardest countries in the world to visit too. Um, yeah. so yeah, it, it, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. I could, I, I could get on a huge tangent and like steal her thunder cause I'm so excited for her. Um, but but I will try to try to transition to, to not doing that. And, okay. Uh, let us be done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if a wayward deer took you off your bike at 40 miles an hour. The trail is the trail. Embrace the sock. Anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.